Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 49 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Market, which is an online retailer of natural food products, and they tend to have some of the best prices you can find for these products because most of their products are around wholesale pricing. Now, one of the factors that I really like about ordering these type of products online is that it ships right to your door so you don't have to go out to the grocery store to find uh, the foods that you are looking for. And when you go out and you're shopping in person, a lot of times what will happen is you'll buy foods that match your cravings. And in this episode, actually, we will be talking all about cravings and emotional eating and what to do about it. So if you want to learn more about Thrive Market and you want to avoid diving into those cravings and the emotional eating that happens a lot of times when we go to the grocery stores in person, then go to summitforwellness.com slash thrive to learn more. Okay, in this episode, like I mentioned, we are talking about emotional eating and what different cravings mean for different emotional responses. So uh, I brought on Molly Doyle, who is a nutritional therapy practitioner, to talk about what types of cravings you may experience when you are going through different types of emotions. So let's dive right into my interview with Molly Doyle. Molly Doyle is a nutritional therapy practitioner for creative people who hate following diet rules. Through her online courses and one-on-one coaching, Molly helps her clients turn the work of optimizing their nutrition into an irresistible adventure. If you're ready to get more than just calories out of your food, you can find Molly at parsleyandpumpkins.com. Thank you, Molly, for coming onto the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to talk to you about some of this emotional eating stuff that we'll be getting into here a little bit later on. But first, let's dive into your background before before you got into um, the nutritional side of things and what made you interested in food in general. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, I'm originally from Phoenix, but now I'm living in Austin, Texas with my husband, our two dogs, and a giant tortoise. Um, and I've kind of always been interested in cooking. Um, I used to cook with my mom when I was young, so she kind of instilled that in me. I have some really good memories of just being in the kitchen, being around food. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was one of those people in high school that cooked like a full Thanksgiving dinner for our friends. Um, We had like a mini Thanksgiving dinner where everyone came over and I cooked a big turkey. And I, I loved doing that stuff. So cooking has always been a big part of my life. And that just naturally led into nutrition. Um, I was never really a good baker. (laughs) Sweets are not really my forte. I always had a hard time with that. So my cooking was, you know, meals. It was proteins, vegetables. And so that just naturally led me into nutrition and healthy eating and what that looks like. Um, And I always felt like nutrition should not be so complicated. 
Um, when I was younger, I remember reading articles about optimizing your nutrition and these issues people were having. And I was so confused about why food was so complicated when people have been eating for so many years. This is not a new activity for our species. And so that's kind of what brought me to the NTA, the Nutritional Therapy Association, to do my training is because they're so rooted in the nutritional pioneers and this common sense approach to food that people have been eating food for millennia. And so we really just need to get back to the basics and our bodies will be able to heal themselves. So that seems easier said than done for sure. So a lot of my focus with clients is helping them navigate that practical side of health in addition to the clinical side of identifying like what nutritional support you need. How do you actually do that in real life? And one of the things we'll be talking about is how food ties to different emotions or how different emotions that people have can um, instigate different reactions to food. So what got you interested in that part of it, um, the connection of food with emotions? Yeah. So I was very fortunate to be raised in an environment where food was just food. It wasn't a big deal. And I didn't realize that other people, like my friends, were growing up with these very negative associations between food, their bodies, their health, and really their self-worth. One of the defining moments for me was, um, I still remember pretty vividly in high school, a friend of mine poured water over her lunch to prevent herself from eating anymore because she had these associations that food changed the way her body looked and she didn't like that. And that was, I mean, shocking to me. I had never experienced someone with that kind of association to their food. And so later in high school, of course, through college, most of what I saw around health and food was a culture that was very restrictive, where food was a tool used to control the shape of your body, where people were less concerned with what kind of emotions that mentality was attaching to the food. And it was a, um, an association of guilt and shame and inadequacy. Um, and people were much more concerned with the way your body looked than the way that it was functioning or the way that you felt inside your body. So one day I was reading an article um, and it was actually about processed food. And I kind of already knew that processed food was not good for you. But the article was really interesting because it was about how they were getting creative with their flavor combinations. And in the processed food industry, that's, that's literally like taking a bottle of synthetic flavor and combining it with a different bottle of synthetic flavor in a tube and sprinkling it on like a bland substrate. And that's, that's your processed food. But what caught my attention was that when these flavor companies were creating new recipes, they started with a specific emotion in mind. So they didn't start off saying, hey, we have a bunch of crackers, what should we do with it? They started off their recipe saying, what do we want our customers to feel when they're eating this? Or when they're standing in the grocery store, what emotions do we want to trigger for them when they're thinking about eating this food. And that was like a stop the presses moment for me. 
You know, I knew that concept wasn't constrained to manufacturing. Real whole foods have some of the best flavors and the same principles can be used to get back in touch with those positive emotions that we have in food while still being able to eat healthy and focusing on nutrient density. I'm definitely not saying we should eat processed foods, but what a lot of people don't realize is that we don't have to choose between health and delicious food. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So one of the things that I teach in my Build a Better Salad course is how flavors and textures and cravings are all connected and you can use those principles to build nutrient-dense diets that are truly satisfying on a much deeper level and that trigger the emotions that you want to feel, those positive associations. Now, that's an interesting part that the food industry has known how emotional connection to food um, can influence the way that we eat food for such a long time. And now we are starting to realize there's uh, more to this as well from a whole food standpoint. And a lot of people, when they think of going on diets or eating whole foods, they think that they are going to lose that flavor component uh, that you were talking about. So it's good to see that you can still have delicious food when you are eating healthy whole foods. Uh, With that, let's talk about some of the different textures of food and how it correlates to different emotions that are within your body and your mind. Sure. Yeah, we definitely need um, more than just the food processing industry to know this information that cannot be kept secret. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So really, when we're talking about textures, um, there are only three textures that humans really crave. Um, It's crunchy, chewy, and creamy textures. So to give you an example of how emotions are tied into textures, because I know that sounds weird to people. It's not a, um, it's not something that we think about when we're picking out our food is what texture is this and how is it going to make me feel? So we can use crunchy as an example. Um, Celery is a great example because it's a pretty one-dimensional food. It's got a strong flavor, but um, everyone knows what a celery stick is, what it tastes like, what it feels like to eat that. So one of the best things about celery and crunchy foods is the way that it sounds. It's loud. It gives that big, loud crunch when you bite into it. And if you think that's not important, food manufacturers do optimize their recipes to provide maximum crunch sound. They have machines that make sure that their tortilla chips or whatever it is, is producing the right amount of crunch to really give you that reward when you eat the food. So intuitively, we know celery is not a satisfying food when you're sick in bed, when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling depressed. You can't imagine yourself craving a celery stick when you're sick with the flu. But that crunch is most desired when you're energetic, when you're anxious, frustrated, restless, tense, these kinds of emotions where you have a lot of energy built up. So you can imagine there are times um, that you might clench your teeth when you're feeling these emotions. And a lot of people hold tension in their jaw. So eating these foods that have a lot of crunch actually allows you to work out some of that tension, release the energy that you're holding in your jaw just by getting some movement into that area. Um, So if we're trying to think, you know, in real life, what might this look like? Say you're at work and you find yourself drawn to the potato chips in the vending machine and you're visualizing that crunch. You can hear it in your head, handful after handful, that crunch. What's really going on there? 
you know, think about your emotions, your state, what's happening in your life. Are you super stoked about a project that you just started working on and you've got ideals flowing and you're bursting with energy and you're just ready to get going? You can recognize that emotion yourself. Use that time to do a brain dump. Get all those ideas out and channel the energy into your project and then have a snack. And for most people, your craving will have changed. You'll probably be more inclined to actually sit down to a meal instead of snacking on the chips because you've given your body what it's really looking for, that release of energy. So the same thing can apply to feeling like nervous or anxious. When you recognize those emotions are driving your cravings, you can say, grab your coworker and talk through those feelings before snacking. And you'll usually find that your cravings have completely changed afterwards. That is interesting because when I'm in a go, go, go mode, I definitely want something crunchy. And then once I finally settle down, all of a sudden I don't want that crunch anymore. So that that's interesting that you can make that correlation there. Um, and you mentioned cravings, and that's an interesting one because a lot of times we come across uh, cravings and we just crave certain foods or certain flavors. So um, how how can we use cravings to understand what emotional state we are in, and then how can we use what that information to make healthier choices about the foods we go to for those cravings instead of diving into the bad foods that a lot of those cravings lead us to? Mm-hmm, totally. So if there's one thing that I'd like for your listeners to take away from this episode, it's knowing that everything we do and everything we experience in our bodies comes from a healthy need or desire. And I, I know that sounds crazy. Everything we do and everything we experience or feel in our bodies is driven by a healthy need or desire. Now, the way in which that desire might manifest may not be healthy in and of itself. Like say when we're sad, we crave comforting food. So for one person that might look like a craving for ice cream. There are a lot of people in the health and fitness industry um, like I mentioned earlier, that would say this is a sign of just poor self-control, that you just lack willpower when you're experiencing these cravings. But that's not the case. Everything we do is driven by a healthy need or desire. The need is comfort. It's perfectly healthy need. Of course, we want comfort when we're sad. The problem isn't willpower. The problem arises when we're not consciously aware of our own needs and we're not monitoring our thoughts and behaviors around that. And we're just going with the flow and eating the first thing that we see. So when we don't give ourselves time to recognize what we really want is a feeling of comfort and security. Instead, we have this feeling that we're sad and something is wrong and we crave ice cream and wonder why. But really, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You know, ice cream is a great example because it's fairly unhealthy food. It's full of sugar, depending what flavor you get. It's probably full of uh, tons of who knows what. Um, but if you think about what ice cream is, it's cream, dairy, it's got fats in it, sugar. The first foods that we eat as humans, as babies, is breast milk, which is very creamy, very fatty, and there's a deep association between the texture and the nutrients in creamy foods and the feelings of safety and having our needs met. 
and even the sugar. Historically, humans have always sought out these high-calorie foods because they're fairly scarce. There is a reason that our hunter-gatherer ancestors were willing to climb a tree, get stung by bees in order to get that honey and provide it to their families. And that hit of sugar sends this primal feeling of abundance and food security to these parts of our brains that have been around since the beginning. So if we're talking about someone who is having an emotion of sadness and they're craving ice cream, it makes sense even evolutionarily that they would choose something like ice cream. But if they're not aware that the reason they want the ice cream is because of the way they're feeling, then they don't have any control over what they eat. It's when you recognize what you're feeling that you can make the choices and direct that need, that desire towards something much healthier. So you can, you know, stock your pantry with some really good avocado coconut ice cream. Um, there's tons and tons of foods that have this creamy, fatty texture that we can still get that emotion that we're looking for. So another thing interesting that you and I were talking about before this call is when people have cravings for things that are very like not good for us. Um, there's actually a phenomenon where people will crave foods that they're sensitive to. And I've seen this with clients. They'll do a food sensitivity test and it shows up highest on these foods that um, they eat the most and that they crave the most. And it's the weirdest thing. Their body has the sensitivity to it. You would think it knows what we need. So why is it craving something it's sensitive to? But when you eat a food that your body's sensitive to, you have this physical response. And a lot of people will actually notice their heart beating faster after they eat something like this. It's stimulatory. So sometimes the body craves stimulation and we're in this constant like go, go, go culture, constantly trying to get things off of our to-do list, you know, keep up with the Joneses, keep up with appearances. And our bodies are trying to help us do that. So that's why people are, you know, drinking three cups of coffee every morning. They're looking for stimulation. Now, that doesn't mean that we should go about eating foods that we're sensitive to or that we know aren't good for us. But the thing we're feeling, a desire for stimulation so that we can stay focused during the day, is still a healthy desire. It's straight up survival. The body will do what it needs to to survive today, even if it means in the long run, you end up with an overtaxed immune system and autoimmune conditions pop up. So that's why it's so important to be in touch with what your desire really is so that you can direct that towards the behaviors that will satisfy your needs without compromising your health. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So if to understand where these desires are coming from, then there's got to be a few steps that people can take to really kind of check in with their body. So what are some of the strategies that you would tell someone to be able to touch into these different parts of themselves? Yeah, for sure. And it really does take practice. It feels weird at first to be thinking about some of these concepts, but over time it makes a huge difference. And you'll see these patterns emerge. Um, no one else knows your body the way that you do. You know, the body is very complicated. Um, I mentioned in my intro that I got into nutrition because I felt like it shouldn't be so complicated. But what I've really learned is that it's very complicated. The human body is a masterpiece and a complete enigma. You know, the same symptom uh, could manifest itself in different people because of different reasons, but you have the same symptom that's coming up. So it does take some detective work. You know, that's why we have doctors and naturopaths, clinicians to help sort it out. But there is no lab test that can diagnose you with a deficiency in self-confidence. 
That is something that needs to be done inside your own head so that you can get that information of what's driving you, what your needs are, and then use that to dig a little bit deeper with a practitioner. So a good place to start is just to check in with your body as often as possible. It takes maybe 30 seconds. Ask yourself, what is happening in my body? List it out. You know, I'm feeling bloated. My skin is breaking out. My knees hurt. Put some words to what you're feeling. And then ask yourself, what is happening in my mind? Now, this part is hard for people. It's easy to say, I feel bloated. It's much harder to state your feelings honestly and admit to yourself something like, I feel like I don't deserve my promotion at work and I'm scared everyone thinks I'm a fraud. That's a scary thing to say to yourself. And we're afraid that saying it will make it true, but usually it doesn't. Usually when you finally put words into what you're feeling, you realize that it's not true. You hear yourself say this and go, ah, I'm only focusing on one piece of the story. This is not even true. And then you can move past that. So doing this often will start to reveal patterns. You'll start to see how your emotions, your symptoms, your habits are all connected. And then from there, you can work on your habits to replace these unhealthy foods and behaviors with nutrient-dense alternatives that still satisfy your emotional needs. So I'm curious, a lot of people are scared to uh, dive into their emotions. So how how do you tell people not to be fearful of those emotions and to start, um, you know, tapping into themselves to understand these emotions instead of just trying to uh, binge on food to get rid of these emotions or to uh, satisfy themselves? Yeah, I think a lot of the fear that people have is kind of what we've seen in the media as far as self-help work and what that looks like for people. I think that people are afraid that if they get into this, they're going to have to like see a therapist and delve into their childhood and talk about, you know, the traumas they experienced in dodgeball in, you know, fifth grade or something like that. Um, You really don't have to. It's not about your past. It's not about anything that happened. It's just about what you're feeling right now. So some really simple ways to get started, um, I've recommended this to a lot of clients, is just to do a Google search for feeling words and start looking at this list of some feelings and learn to put the words to the emotions. You know, we did not learn this in high school, in elementary school. No one came around saying, you know, how do you go about naming your feelings? How do you talk about your feelings? So a really good place to work is just to start with looking at some of those words and thinking about them in your own head. You don't have to work with a therapist. You don't have to tell anybody else your story. You can do this all inside of your own mind and just state what's true and what you really feel. And you can use simple phrases like, I feel X because of this. You know, I feel um, scared because I'm out of groceries and there's nothing to eat. And I'm nervous that, you know, my husband's going to judge me for not having a beautiful dinner on the table, whatever it might be. But these simple sentences, um, you'll get into the practice of just saying them to yourself and putting words into your feelings. That's really the only place that you need to start. Awesome. Well, we definitely know that if people have gone to ice cream during sad moments of their life or anything along those lines, that that starts to create a habit within their life. Um, and we we see a lot of these common habits across 
big groups of people. So what are some of the most common habits that you've seen that people really struggle with to be able to break? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an interesting place to start with this is that most people think of habits as things that we do every day. Like they'll say, I'm in the habit of brushing my teeth. I do it every day. Therefore, it is a habit. But a habit, by definition, has three parts. You have a cue, a behavior, and a reward. So the cue triggers the behavior, and the result of the behavior is your reward. So if you brush your teeth every day, your cue might be walking into the bathroom and seeing your toothbrush. The behavior is brushing your teeth, and then the reward is feeling like a clean, healthy person who has their act together, (laughs) which is really what everyone wants. So the behavior doesn't have to occur every day for it to be a habit. And these are actually the hardest habits for people to break. When we're talking about, you know, what people need the most help with, it's in recognizing the habits that don't happen every day because they are the hardest to spot. Um, So for example, a couple months ago, I actually recognized a habit loop that I had been in for a few months without realizing it. So it felt like this one-time scenario. I'll give you an example. I'm driving home from work at the end of the day. Um, My husband and I commute home together, so we're both in the car. And I realize, oh shoot, I forgot to put the meat in the refrigerator to thaw. So that means, you know, I have to go home, put the meat in water, try to thaw it quickly, or just figure out something completely different to make. So naturally I say, why don't we just go out and eat somewhere else tonight? And so we did. Now, it felt like a very one-time moment, and I only recognized that it wasn't a one-time occurrence when I was looking back over my weekly meal plans, and I realized there were probably one or two meals every week that I had planned for. I had bought groceries, but we did not eat it. So I thought I was just being forgetful. So I put an alarm on my phone every night uh, to remind me to check the meal plan and see what we're having, and if I need to thaw some meat, I can put it in the freezer problem solved, right? But it kept happening. My phone would be on silent or I would just really ignore the alarm is most likely what happened. Um, And I realized after a few weeks of trying to solve the problem that it wasn't a problem. It was a habit. And I had been ignoring that last part of the habit loop, the reward. So a habit is a cue, a behavior, and a reward. So my cue was sitting in the car, realizing that I forgot to thaw the meat for the meal that I had planned on cooking for dinner. My behavior was to suggest that we go out to eat instead. And my reward was that I could just relax for the rest of the night. Someone else cooked, someone else cleaned. I got to just hang out and chat with my husband all night and sit on the couch and do just nothing else. (laughs) That's what my reward was. And that's what my desire really was, was being able to just relax. And that's why a reminder on my phone did not work because it was not delving into what the reward was to get at the root of the habit. So from here, I had two choices. I could go ahead and embrace this and just schedule a date night, go ahead and, you know, plan out the meal and schedule in a day to go out. But sometimes that doesn't work. Maybe you're trying to save money or the restaurants you want to eat at, maybe just the restaurants in your city aren't very healthy. And so you need to figure out something else. So by recognizing what the reward is, you can adjust. So I just changed my meal plan so that instead of cooking something new every night, I had a couple of nights built in where I would make a really big batch and the next day we could just have leftovers. So the behavior changed, but I still got the reward of just hanging out and relaxing and chatting with my husband all night.
Ah. Yeah, I never I never realized that habits were a loop like that. So to break it down into the cue and um what happens next and then finally the reward, that that wow, oh, that's uh that makes habits such a different um thing for me at least like now I can start breaking that down throughout my my entire day like when I get stuck on my phone if I'm scrolling through social media somehow and figure out what brought me to that point how did I get there and the reward from that is really nothing because it's social media but (laughs) so yeah you can totally put that into all the foods that you eat and any kind of daily habit or I guess non-daily habit that you do it can. And there can be some sneaky rewards, to be honest. Um, so your example is a great one. Scrolling through your phone, it seems like there's no reward to that, right? Like you're just wasting time. You're not accomplishing anything. You're not like actually talking to other humans. But there can be um, some rewards. You could probably put them in the self-sabotage category where, and I do this a lot, where technically you're working but really you're just procrastinating. So this is a big one for anyone who has a small business, really anyone who works. Um, If checking social media is at all involved in that, it can technically be considered work, but your reward is not having to do any work. And just being honest with yourself about you just want a break can make a huge difference. So, you know, you can choose to get up and go socialize with a coworker for 10 minutes or um, stand up and do some stretches for five minutes and you still get the reward of not working, but you get to choose what the behavior is. And that's the big part is choosing the behavior that gives you the reward. I like that. So can you make a couple more connections about how to um, quickly and easily change some habits around food into providing a, a reward that's more beneficial to people's health? Sure. So um, when you're starting with these habits, a big place is just to analyze your day, think about what your habits are, what your cues are, and pick one place to start. So breakfast is a big one for a lot of people. We're all trying to make sure that we eat breakfast in the morning. Um, Anyone who is doing kind of a paleo keto diet, um, you can't just grab a muffin in the morning. So you usually do need to, you know, put in some time to actually cook. So a big thing can be analyzing what your reward is. And for some people, the reward of sleeping in for an extra 10 minutes is a bigger reward than getting your breakfast. So that's something that you need to be honest with yourself about is what reward are you really seeking? And then from there, you can plan it out. So maybe instead of um, cooking your breakfast every morning, you make a big thing of like sweet potato hash and pre-cook some bacon on the weekend so that you don't have to cook during the week and you still get the reward of being able to sleep in but then you just heat up something you've already cooked and you get the reward of breakfast. So another habit that people have a lot of difficulty breaking is eating while you're on the go, either you know eating breakfast in the car or just grabbing some fast food and having it um, on your way home. So this one, honestly, people have to think about their priorities and what they want long-term. And sometimes you need to dig into that why of why you're trying to make changes, why you want to be healthy so that you can get that reward to really mean something for you. 
Um, no one goes about their life, you know, willy-nilly where we are just having decisions made for us. We all are constantly analyzing our environments, analyzing what we need to do during the day, and we're making decisions. So at some point, you analyzed your day and you made a decision that you want to eat your meal in the car on your way home. And it could have been just a split second decision one day when you were really busy, but it happened for a reason. So a big part of this is thinking about what your reason was for making that decision. And that's where you're gonna find the cue, the behavior and the reward that you need to be looking at. And it's gonna be different for everybody. So one person, um, I actually had a client who did this where um, she would eat on the way home from work. And we discovered that her reward was that she got to choose what she was eating. So if she ate by herself in the car on the way home from work, the reward was that she got to decide which restaurant, which fast food place, whatever it was, that she was gonna go to and get her own meal and she got to give herself a little treat. But if she just went home, um, her husband was the one who cooked. It just, you know, that's the way that it was in their, their household. He liked to cook, and so he would plan the meals, he would make the food, and she would have to eat what he cooked. And so for her, the cue was thinking about, oh, my husband is making X, Y, or Z that I'm not excited about. Her behavior was to go to a fast food place and get some whatever it was, burger or something. And the reward was that she got to feel in control of her food and what she was putting into her body. And yes, it was unhealthy food, but that need, that desire to control what's going into our body still stems from a healthy desire. So for her, changing that habit um, really involved talking with her husband and saying, um, some of the things that you make aren't my favorites. Can we work on the meal plan together so that we get a better balance of foods that our entire family enjoys? Yeah, and that's a great example of just communication between you and your spouse, too, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, for some reason, have a hard time with. <laughs> I think that's a problem with our, our species in general is communication. <laughs> <laughs> So if someone wants to start using this emotional eating and uh, habit change idea right away, what can they do to get started? Yeah. So here's an easy one um, that you can do right away. It kind of stems into the discussion we were having earlier about textures and foods and how they relate to emotions. Um, and this is a fun one that you can use with your family too. So if you've got kids or you've got a, a boyfriend, girlfriend that you live with a spouse, um, start categorizing the ingredients in your meals into those three texture categories. So creamy, crunchy, and chewy, really the only textures that humans crave. There are other textures that exist, but most people don't crave things like gritty or rubbery. So focus on creamy, chewy, and crunchy and start noticing which ones you're drawn to and have a discussion with your family about the emotions that go with each one. Um, what are some instances that you crave creamy foods? What emotions are you feeling in those moments? And it's really cool to see what comes up for people. You'll learn a lot about your own food preferences that you probably didn't realize. You'll learn a bunch about your family 
the way that they see food, the way that they feel about food and your food habits together. Um, and if you want to dive a little bit deeper, I do have a freebie. It's an ebook called Building a Better Salad that helps you identify some of those flavors and textures in real foods so that you can start creating delicious meals that are filling and satisfying on a whole new level. Something I always tell my clients is that you deserve to get much more than calories out of your food. And it's by thinking about these things, the way that food makes you feel, that you'll be able to achieve that. And you can find that ebook at parsleyandpumpkins.com slash salad. And I will have that in the show notes as well at summitforwellness.com slash 49. Uh, where else can people find you on, on the internet? Is it Facebook? Do you have other social media platforms? Sure. So you can find me, of course, on my website, parsleyandpumpkins.com. I'm on Facebook at parsleyandpumpkins. And I'm on Instagram at parsleypumpkins. It was too long. They wouldn't let me put the and. So it's Parsley Pumpkins on Instagram. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'll have all that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you, Molly, for coming on. I, I think this stuff's really uh, interesting for sure because there's just so many different connections that we could tie all this, these habits and uh, these emotions too. So it's really neat to see that there's there's a method to the madness out there. <laughs> there is. There is. It doesn't seem like it, but... Everything is connected and it's all, you know, our bodies, ourselves, we're all just trying to do the best that we can. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Brian. It was a pleasure. And there you have it. It's pretty neat to see how emotions tie into the cravings that we have. And I already knew that the food industry used the crunch factor of food to get us hooked onto it, but I didn't realize there was more to the the emotional components of that initial crunch. So uh, thank you, Molly Doyle, so much for coming on to talk all about the different emotions and how they tie into different textures of food. Next week, we will have Sarah Russell on to talk about hypermobility and what to do about it from a nutritional standpoint. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. If you have not left us a rating and review on iTunes, please do. It only takes about 20 seconds to log on to iTunes real quick and just drop us a rating and review. It helps our show to get out in front of more people. So it is very important for us. Keep climbing to the peak of your health and we will see you next week.